Uh, okay. Soundtrack? Soundtrack. Um, welcome back to Sylvania Gals, everyone. Hi there, everybody. We're the Sylvania Gals. I'm Margaret. I'm Bridget. Mm. And before we start today's episode, we have a special shout out. Oh, yep, Matt. We talked to Matt this past weekend. He's still on the trail. He's made it all the way to Oregon. Go, Matt. Yay, He's one Matt. of our faithful listeners. Yeah, we've got to send them. We want. We were remiss in sending them muffins or something, but we'll send you a shout out, Matt. Yeah. We uh, can't wait to see you. You looked good. Keep at it. On to today's episode. <laughs> yeah. A, a returning guest. Our first returning guest. A first returning guest. Yeah. Can you guess who it is? Ooh. Another world traveler. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, we're also sort of coming towards the end of season one, so, right? Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Because Bridget has to start her life here, and yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Bridget's here with both mm-hmm. her parents. So yeah, excited. I have my daddy and my mommy here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you want to introduce yourself for a second time? Sure, I'm Bridget's dad. <laughs> Jim. Jim. Well, it was my idea to bring Jim back on the show because I thought it was a really good episode, the Father's Day episode, but there was a lot that was left out of his life story. So, and I thought a lot of it's very interesting and I have been encouraging him to write some of this down, but in the early 80s, Jim went to Japan and was there for four years, called home once, I think, didn't have... <laughs> Wrote a lot of letters. Hey, long distance back then was tough. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, I did write a lot of letters. Yeah. Yeah. Called home when? Well, when my sister Tish got married. Yeah, that was important enough for a phone call. Were any babies born in that? No, but I, I, got, I got there. I, one was born right before I left. Well, the twins, right? Yeah, the tw- oh, two were born right before <laughs> yeah, I left. Yancey. Twins, yeah, Yancey. Yeah. Yancey. Yeah. So, um but anyway, in 1984, he decided to leave Japan and, and make his way back home. But he decided to take the long way home. And you were traveling for? Two and a half months, I guess. Yeah. Two and a half months. And one of the things you did was take the Siberian Railroad. I mean, he did all kinds. And he had all kinds of interesting stories about traveling through Soviet Union, Russia, Soviet Union, I guess. Yeah, and, I like uh, to say Siberia. Siberia. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, so what led into this decision to take the long way home, as I say? <laughs> take the long way. Yeah. <laughs> you can cut that one out. Yeah. yeah, well, you know, I mean, part of the thing, part of the reason I went to Japan right out of, uh, right in my 20s was that I thought I would do traveling and adventuring before I settled down, so to speak. Mm-hmm. With mommy. Yeah. And, uh, well, I had a pretty serious girlfriend back in Japan at the time. But, right. But, uh, you know, I, I uh, had the opportunity to travel. Um, and uh, so I, I took it. And I, uh, I did the Trans-Siberian Railroad because it just so happened a few months before I knew I was going to head back to the States. I ran into a woman who had taken the Trans-Siberian Railroad from... Uh, whatever country she was from in Europe, I've forgotten now. I guess she must use English speakers, so maybe it was the UK, on her way to Japan. And I met her at a conference, so we were just talking about things, and uh, she said, yeah, it was a great experience, and she said, uh, you should do it. Back in those days, you had to go through special procedures to go, although it turned out to be really simple in the end. Uh, the Soviet Union had a, um, a bureau, the Soviet... Japan Friendship Bureau. 
office in Osaka, and I went and I said, I want to travel through the Soviet Union, and they booked all my travel. No problem whatsoever. Wow, that's easy. I got my visa, yeah. How much did it cost? I don't remember. It was probably 50 bucks or something for the visa. For the, what about the ticket? Oh, the ticket, well, yeah, travel through the Soviet Union was pretty cheap in U.S. dollars. But uh, well within my budget. But they planned everything for you. You didn't have to make decisions. Did they? They planned well, like where to said, stay. Where, they said, "Yeah, where?" Do, they said, "Where do you want to go?" And I said, "Well, I want to take Trans Siberia." And they said, "Okay, well, uh, you'll want to take the ship from Yokohama to Nahotka, and then take the overnight railway line to from Nahotka to Habarovs. That's the terminus of the Trans Siberian Railroad." Then uh, they, you know, there are details. Do you want a first class? I guess I don't know if there was a first class car. Do you want a hard car <laughs> or a soft car? Uh, <laughs> I think I second class or third class or whatever. I don't remember exactly so what you, I got. Were you sleeping on the train? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. An overnight uh, between Havarovsk and uh, Nahotka and Havarovsk. And then I think it was three nights, maybe four nights between Havarovsk and Irkutsk which is like one-third of the way across Siberia. And then the original itinerary was for me to spend a week or so visiting Stanis, right? The, um, from Irkutsk, I'd go to Tashkent, then uh, Bukhara and Samarkand uh, for a week. Mm-hmm. Then I'd go back to, um, to Irkutsk and then take the Trans-Siberian Railroad again all the way to Moscow. I thought it'd be cool to go all the way across Siberia and whatnot. But after spending three and a half days on the hard or soft, whatever, second class car, even though it was May or something, I should look up the dates, but um, there was a crack in the window and it got really cold at night in Siberia, even in May. Mm. And I was sharing the compartment with uh, three other people, but still got really cold. So anyway, it was a bit much. And so I decided uh, I would change my itinerary. And they let you do that. And they let me do that, yeah. The, uh, the Soviet Union at the time had a tourist bureau called the Interest Agency, uh, which was different from the Soviet-Japan Friendship Bureau in Japan that I got my stuff with. But anyway, they, 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 they booked my, you know, we, they talked about what I wanted to do, and then they booked all of my uh, lodgings and my transportation between one place and another. And when I changed my itinerary, I guess I was in Tashkent when I did that, uh, I spoke with the interest person, and we changed it to a direct flight from Tashkent to Moscow, mm. and continued my journey from there. Is that where the uh, you met the guys on the airplane who asked you how yes. to defect? Yes. You want to go with that one first? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. First off, every time I went to a, I was traveling solo, and uh, the policy back then uh, seems to have been whenever a for a non-Soviet bloc person. Uh, arrived at a transportation facility, an interest official was supposed to meet you there and escort you to your your hotel. Uh, and they were always expecting a Japanese face. <laughs> uh, they didn't know what to na- make of this name, Or, you know. Mm. It's a relatively unusual name and could definitely be a Japanese one as far as they knew. Yeah. And so the first thing that would happen when I would alight from the train at a train station, is I'd keep my eyes open for... Somebody who was looking increasingly concerned and frantic that they weren't finding who they were supposed to find. And uh, so anyway, um, uh, so I changed my itinerary. And because I did that, I ended up having about a 10-hour wait uh, at the Tashkent airport. 
And uh, so they, it was more in, the, I got there in the morning. It was, it was already into June now, so it was quite warm. Uh, they put me into this cavernous waiting area. It wasn't a room. It was like a whole terminal, but it was <laughs> exclusive for foreign travelers. And there was zero, nobody in the whole terminal. (laughs) And it was freezing. It was freezing in there. Oh, because of air conditioning? Yeah, because of air conditioning. Mm. So, you know, I I said, this is is for the birds. And so I got up and started to walk out. And right at the door, there was a side office. And some guy heard a rustling and he came out and said, oh, 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 you don't want to go out there. It's hot. <laughs> it's much more comfortable in here. I mean, clearly the guy did not want me to go out into the regular airport, you know, right. because this this is uh, this was a standard operating procedure in 1984 in the Soviet Union. In my experience, and they're always keeping an eye on on you. And by this point, I had a little bit of sympathy for the my handlers. Uh, mm. And I didn't want to give him too much trouble, so I, he really didn't want me to go out. Ask him for a blanket or something. Yeah, what did you do for ten hours? That's good. Well, I, I wandered around inside this terminal. I guess you could jog around, and <laughs> do jumping jacks to stay well, warm. Well, after a couple hours, I mean, you know, I looked around. It's interesting, and you know, as you know, as much as a vacant airline terminal can be interesting. You know, there's seats. There was like a restaurant that no, wasn't. There was nobody there. And no, I was going to say they opened one restaurant for you. No, they didn't open the restaurant for me. So anyway, after a couple hours, a tour group came in. Oh, okay. Mm. And they were camped out right at the entrance. And uh, I saw this as my chance. So I, 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 I kind of nodded my head as if I, somebody on the other side of the room near the exit wanted to say something to me. And I I pretended this, and then I walked right on out. And, oh. I, spent, and I spent the next few hours in the Tashkent uh, real terminal where normal people were around. And uh, so I just strolled around, you know, uh, and uh, I was hungry. Your handler probably got in nah. trouble. Probably in jail well, right now. <laughs> anyway, this is not, not there's, there's so much to tell in here. But, you know, so I, 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 I got hungry. I ate some. I knew that the Russians uh, drank kefir. Mm-hmm. You know, a kind of yogurt drink, right. and I saw it. In uh, you know, I, nobody understood anything I say, but I, I, I by this point, a lot I noticed a lot of people just grunted and pointed, and that's what I did. And they gave it to me, and uh, I guess they must have had the price or something. I gave them their Kopec or whatever the heck it was. So, uh, and they had like um, pinball machines that mm-hmm. people were playing, and like any terminal, yeah, really. normal, yeah. normal stuff. Anyway, so I figured my, my flight was, yeah, I was getting near to my flight, so I went back to the uh, waiting area. I don't remember seeing the guy when I went back in, mm. but when I did go back in there about the same time, a group of about 10 or 12 uh, really tall, dark haired guys, it looked like a basketball team, you know? really healthy looking, uh, slender, and they all had these gym bags, you know? I thought, uh, gee, I wonder who these guys are. They're all traveling together, and then there's this one short, fat guy who was <laughs> obviously a Russian, basically hosting, you know, taking them along. So anyway, we, they, they took us to the pre-boarding term, uh, room, right? And this is fine, I'm not talking to him or anything, but I'm just looking at him and say, okay, these guys look like, they're in like, you know, athletic outfits, you know, mm-hmm. to train, trainers as they called them in Japan. So um, we got on board and uh, I'm sitting in a row, uh, three and three, six across with the aisle down the middle. 
And I'm sitting on the aisle seat, and on my right are two of these guys. And across the aisle and one uh, seat, one uh, row above, uh, in front of me, is this chunky Russian handler, right? Mm. So, you know, I asked the guy, the guy says, uh, so, he speaks to me in, in Russian. I said, I'm sorry, I don't understand Russian. I, I had enough Russian that I could say I didn't, uh, I'm not right. Russian. So he says, so, are you German? I said, no. Uh, Polish? I said, no, I'm smiling. And he says, you know, Americansky. He says, I said, yeah, da, da, right? Right. So anyway, the guy speaks English. I said, oh, you know, do you mind if we smoke? And he offers me, um, I think it was a marble. Mm. I said, how do you get the marbles? You know, in Russia, in Afghanistan, you can find these things. So I said, so are you guys like a basketball team or something? And he looks at me and says, uh, no, no, we're an artillery unit with the Afghan army. We're traveling to Moscow for training. Now, this is 1984, when the Soviet mm. Union is in Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. uh, they had basically occupied Afghanistan, and uh, there was a war going on. And these guys were in the Afghan army. Funny that Afghanistan is in the news right now. Right? It is, big way. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, uh, so we're traveling, we're flying, right? And um, we're, we're talking, and these guys are kind of like, cool, you know, you're an American, and, he, and this guy speaks English. The short, chunky guy. No, the short, chunky guy doesn't appear to speak English. The short, oh. chunky guy is a Russian handler, right? Oh, it's one of the Afghan, yeah. And, and I'm speaking with the two Afghan, uh, two of the Afghan, uh, you know, artillery yeah. unit guy, soldiers. Uh, the, the guy sitting at the window speaks good English. The guy in between him doesn't have any English. So he's kind of interpreting as well as asking his own questions. Right. So, you know, we talked about one thing or another after we determined that he's going off to Moscow to, to train. We talked a little bit about the Afghanistan railroad uh, highways that the Soviet Union had built versus the ones that Americans had built. And the Soviet Union knew how to build roads that were in harsh extremes, whereas the Americans didn't. Americans put up, like, there were snow drifts or something that happened in the winter, and the Americans just put up these post, metal posts, whereas the Russians, they put up these tall trees where you could actually see the road, mm. <laughs> yeah, things like that. But, uh, so I forget all the different things we talked about, but at one point, um, I can tell that the Russian handler is getting a little bit nervous because it doesn't seem he can understand what we're talking about. I mean, he knows that we're speaking English, and he got the fact that I'm an American, this is 1984, still a Cold War going on. And then the guy asks me out of the blue, uh, so, uh, yeah, my buddy wants to know how he can defect. And I looked at him and I'm thinking, what are you, crazy? Asking me that question? And, What's uh, that mean, defect? Defect. Leave. It means to defect over to the other side. Sell information for your freedom, that sort of thing. Yeah, people in Eastern Europe weren't allowed to leave the yes. Iron Curtain, so people used to defect. So he was trying to use you to leave. Yeah, he says, so, uh, you know, my buddy wants to know how he can defect. And, of course, I thought, well, not by going to Moscow. <laughs> <laughs> right. But, but I'm like, I can't believe he asked me this question, you know. First of all, I don't know how you defect. The U.S. Embassy, maybe. Yeah. And I wasn't about to start investigating and giving him advice yeah. on how to defect. I knew that much by this point. I had another adventure that had me on my toes here mm. before this point um, in my travel there. So I said, I just looked at him and said, gee, I, I, I couldn't say because I did have a little bit of um, 
uh, excitement in having this discussion. So instead of saying I don't know, I said I couldn't say. Mm. Yeah. But just to have fun. But but I yes, yeah, I couldn't say. I can say. Anyway, that was the eventful time. And afterwards, you know, I, on my trips to Europe and elsewhere, um, uh, and I thought that this was just a bizarre e- event. But um, uh, I was talking to a, a, a contractor with the U.S. Um, military in Afghanistan on one of my trips to Europe a few years later. This is when Soviet Union had been kicked out, and then after after 9-11, the U.S. kind of moved in. Uh, and uh, he looked at me and he said, that guy, they were trying to entrap you. Mm. He says absolutely positively that Afghanistani soldier was working with the Russians to try to entrap you. You know, well, Daddy, into you as a prisoner? Yeah, as, oh, a, a, as a spy. Yeah, as try, you know, as not doing things you weren't supposed to be doing, right? Espionage, oh, right? trying to catch you in the wrong? Catch me, catch me out as uh, somebody who was doing things the Soviet Union's government didn't want to be, have a foreigner do. I was an American uh, traveling alone through, you know, the Afghanistan and not Af- I wasn't in Afghanistan. I was in so did they Uzbekistan think you and actually worked for the U.S. government or or were just a hapless tourist or? Well, I was just a hapless tourist. You were just obviously. a hapless yeah, tourist, but, they but did they think you... Well, they thought it was a possibility. And right. some of my other adventures before then led mm. them to think, some of them to think so, perhaps. Oh, so, yeah, there was something about a dollar bill being wrapped up in a... Yeah, well, that was my first, uh, my entry point into the Soviet Union, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, well, you know, before I... In Japan, I taught English both at an English school, and I was also uh, farmed out to um, uh, a girls' school to give them English lessons uh, two, two times a week. And uh, one of the things I did uh, back then that people do in your teaching a foreign language is in- introduce cultural things. And I, so I brought out a dollar bill and showed it to the, this, these girls in this uh it was a ninth or tenth grade English class, and I showed them the, the dollar bill, and it went around the classroom, came back all folded up in an origami. Mm. I thought this is really cool. Mm. And uh, you know, my uh, sister and her husband, this is Mark and Debbie, uh, they had a, a curio cabinet where they put all sorts of intriguing things from their travels, and I thought this would be really neat to keep as, as a keepsake. So I handed it back to them in the classroom, and I told these girls, write something on it. And then fold it up again, mm. and that's what they did. You know, they, they, it was a good activity. And so, when it came time for me to, you know, I kept that with me. And when it came time to leave Japan, I had to ship off lots of different stuff, uh, so I wouldn't have to, you know, cart it with me across the world. And uh, I had to decide whether I would ship this talisman off or not. I decided to keep it on me. Mm. Well. That was uh, something that maybe I should have just shipped off instead of carrying on. What was it folded into? Do you remember? No. Oh, I still have it. It's in a box upstairs or in somewhere. Oh, you did get it. It's um, it's just a rectangular thing, very compact, you know. But I couldn't tell what they had written on it. Anyway, so I said, all right, I'm going to take it with me through my travels. It's a good luck charm, right? Mm. Well, when you enter a country, especially well, the Soviet Union, you're supposed to declare 
how many how much foreign currency you had. So I was very careful, wrote out on the cards what all my foreign currency, and then I remembered I had this dollar bill that was folded up together. And I did not want to get in trouble by being accused of lying. Yeah. Even by one dollar. So I said, should I say I have should I get include this dollar in the amount or not? I decided to include it. Uh, so, you know, we got off the ship, uh, disembarked off the ship at Nahotka, not Vladivostok, which was the military base in the Far East, but Nahotka, which was uh, 50 miles or so east of it. We traipsed across what looked like a schoolyard. It was a, looked like an elementary school building surrounded by uh, storm fencing, right? Mm. And on the other the pier was there. You got off, you walked about 10 yards, about 20 yards to the building, you went through the building, you went out the other side, another 20, 30, 40 yards to a railroad track where you got on the train. And you went through customs inside that building. So I go up in there and, uh, you know, I go through the booth and they check my visa papers and whatnot. That's fine, you know. Then they shift me uh, into the next, the next room where there are like four or five uh, folding tables with men in blue uniforms uh, going through people's luggage. So uh, I get this guy, 20-something, 30-something guy in a blue uniform, and he's looking through my baggage. And, uh, you know, I only have like one or two bags, a backpack, and mm. my, uh, you know, my, uh, I, I was on crutches at the time. But that's that's, another, that's <laughs> really? another story. Yes, I was on crutches at the time. We'll have to leave that for another time. But anyway, so uh, he's looking through in a desultory manner. I mean, he's not looking at it. He's just going through the motions, right? That's what they're always like. Yeah. And then he comes across my Russian, English, uh, German, or no, it's Russian, German, Japanese phrase book that I had bought, special for the trip. And uh, he, he, he picked it up, leafed through it. You know, he spent like three or four seconds just kind of leafing through it. And it has in there... Pardon me, sir, do you know the way to a bathroom? You know, those, those kinds of phrases yeah. in it, in Russian, yeah. in German, and Japanese. And he looks at me and he says, well, I should have told you first that this, I, I put a, a, a washi cover on it. Washi is Japanese paper, so I, I had bought special paper to preserve it. You know, you put, and it, it was white with the red flower design and whatnot. So he spent these three or five seconds looking through it, and he says, is this book of a religious nature? <laughs> Obviously, he's not looking at it, you know, and I say, uh, oh, no, I wouldn't. You know, I think to myself, I wouldn't bring a religious book into the Soviet Union. <laughs> no, no, it's a phrase book. And I showed him and he says, fine. And, uh, you know, that's contraband that you're not supposed to bring in. So he's fine. He's finished it up. He's counting my money and my traveler's checks. And he says, um, the numbers don't match up. You're one dollar short. I said, oh, well, that's this. And I bring it out. And he looks at it, bends down, and he stands up straight. He looks over to the other side of the room. And the next thing I know, there's an older man in a green uniform who is asking me questions in Russian. While the blue uniform guy is rifling through my baggage, just pulling everything apart, you know. And the guy's asking me something in Russian, and I say, I'm, I'm sorry, sir, I don't understand Russian. But and he, and he nods his head. And then he says something to me in Russian again, <laughs> you know. And, uh, and I say, I'm sorry, sir, I don't understand Russian. Um, and uh, they talk about the, the green uniform guy tells the blue uniform guy something, and he turns around to me and then asks offhandedly, 
something in Russian. <laughs> and I'm standing there, and, and uh, I've become aware of a woman standing a few feet away. She's not in a uniform. She's in a pretty dress, civilian clothing. And I look to her and say, excuse me, do you speak English? And she, says, she looks at me and she says, of course I do. I'm an interpreter. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> And I wait a few moments and I say, well, could you tell this officer that, you know, I, I don't understand his questions. And then she starts to, inter to in interpret for me, right? So what was he asking you? Well, he asked me all sorts of questions about, uh, well, what were you doing in, in Japan for four years? I said, well, I was an English teacher. What was your purpose for going to Japan and spending four years there? Well, I wanted to learn Japanese and I wanted to see Japan. He says, uh, what is your purpose for traveling through the Soviet Union? So, I said, tourism. Yeah. So why did this little crumpled up dollar bill set them off so much? I'm getting to that. Okay. <laughs> okay. You take it away. Well. He's building well, suspense. That's, well, what this, that's what makes a great story. He's, he's building suspense. Well, well, you know, this is part of the thing. He'd, he'd go, um, and then they go through that. And then he asked me the same questions again, but he would just sort of turn yeah. over me and casually say, in Russian, whatever, and I'd have to ask the interpreter to interpret. So trying to catch me out, right? Yeah. And then he says, okay, well, open up, the, open this, what is this? I said, I told him, well, you know, my students, uh, you know, they, they uh, did an origami and I'm keeping it as a keepsake. And he says, well, open it up. And I didn't want to open it up because how do you get an origami? But then I opened it up. You know what the girls had done? <sighs> They, there's about 20 girls, Japanese girls. They had written down their names. This mm -hmm. is in Japanese, with yeah. ch Chinese, uh, Japanese script. Mm -hmm. And then they had written their telephone numbers. Mm. So they thought uh, you were keeping telephone numbers secretly? Yeah, like a human trafficker, maybe, or something. Well, that was not my interpretation. I, I, I thought they might have thought it was a, a code of some sort. Mm. Uh, like 10 to 2, lots of indecipherable marks with 10 digits following it. Mm -hmm. Right. And you got 20 or so of them written all over this. Yeah, bill. right. It looks like a... It's like... Yeah. And so the guy, because so he says something to me in Russian quickly, and I, I don't know what he's saying, and I have to ask the interpreter to interpret. And she says, well, what is this? I said, oh, well, I explained how I'd come upon it. And, and I said, it looks like they wrote their names and their telephone numbers. <laughs> Young lad. And, and, mm. and I, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of smiling you know, as I'm saying this. <laughs> and uh, and she, she explains this, I guess. And then he starts asking me the question, why was I a teacher? Why, was I, why did I spend four years in Japan? Same, question. Same questions again. And then he says, what are, what are these things? And I always have to ask the interpreter, could you interpret for me? Because I don't know what he's saying. Then I make a mistake. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Maybe it was the second time around. I said, you know, whose names are they? As I'm asked, well, they're, they're girls, you know, like uh, teenage girls. And I hear her, the, the, a word, a Russian word. I recognize a Russian word. Yeah. Devochka. And, and I, I recognize Devochka because I had read A Clockwork Orange, which is a dystopian novel in which the, mm -hmm. you know, the English words of foreign origin play, have a role to play. And it means an adolescent girl. And uh, I heard Devilska, and I said, yeah, Devilska, and smiling. And, and then I had to go through the whole thing over again because they caught me out in knowing what, knowing Russian. <laughs> you know, why do you know that word? It's just, 
because <laughs> I read this book. Yeah, so anyway, they eventually realized that I was, if I was a spy, I was totally stupid and worthless, and they ended up letting me go. But I was the last person to get on the train. Fortunately, they held the train for me. And uh, I had made some friends among an Australian tour group that was on the ship coming over. And I was kind of a celebrity after that. And I said, whoa, who's this guy who gets the special treatment? Well, that's the story of the devil's wow. guy. And, uh, How's it yeah. going? You made it through. Made and you landed through. and you got off the airplane from with the... Afghan military troop. I did. So, in so, Moscow. So do you think they were keeping an eye on you the whole way? You know, or, or, I, I think there was, well, I, I kind of think yes and no. Because one thing that impressed me in 1984 in the Soviet Union was how totally bureaucratically inept mm. the country was. Totally inept. Yeah. You know, they didn't figure out that I was not Japanese from one uh, place to mm. another. You know, yeah. they, they never figured that one out. Uh, but I did, um, I did have this, I, I, I had an encounter uh, in, uh, I think it was Bukhara, with a guy who clearly was, offered to show me around and clearly was trying to find out what I was doing. That's another story that would get too long. <laughs> uh, and just before I encountered him, I had encountered a, a Jewish Israeli immigrate to the United States who taught Russian or Russian history or something at Boston University or Boston College, and he was on a German tour group in Siberia, and I had encountered him on one, on a day trip that I did. And after I encountered, I think I might have been uh, in Bukhara, I may have gotten the special treatment with this special tour guide trying to find me out because I had encountered him, maybe. Mm -hmm. Or maybe they had kept a track of me from... Uh, from uh, my entry at Nahotka, I don't know. Uh, do and, and the Afghan, maybe I got the Afghan thing for the same reason. You know. Do you think they were specifically for you, the Afghan army? I think that the Afghan artillery unit was, or that group was going off to Moscow anyway. Okay. Okay. And they, maybe they planted, or one of them was, one of them was skilled enough in the English language that we got a special task for you. Yeah. That's probably what happened because he looked like all the others. I swear it was like a college basketball back then. Mm. None of these seven footers, but you know, six to six and a half foot tall guys who were athletic in their twenties or something. The whole thing could make you so paranoid. I think <laughs> make you a little neurotic. Once I got on the Trans-Siberian Railroad a day later, I made friends with an East German tour group, uh, and uh, I was a little more relaxed yeah. and. Uh, and I tell you, once I got to Moscow, it was totally different. Nobody came to meet me. It was like I was getting kind of lazy, you know. <laughs> Seriously, came to show you just take me to my hotel. Yeah, you mm -hmm. know, it's like having a just less court to my hotel. Sure, that's the first yeah. thing I want to do after I've traveled a day or two or three. <laughs> you know, just crash and. So there's more freedom in Moscow. Yeah, totally, it? totally. I, I don't think I, there's just too many people running around. I don't think there's entertainment. In Moscow, when I ran into those two Ukrainian uh, university students, I think we had a genuine encounter of young people, and I don't think they were plants at all. What did you talk about with them? Well, they were interested in talking with me, a young American. You know, that's part one of the reasons they went to Moscow, I think, to meet mm. some people. And they wanted to trade uh, T-shirts. Uh, my buddy from home, Jeff, uh, went, was a Cornell guy, and we... we, t we uh, we worked together one summer in college, and we 
he, he really wanted to trade t-shirts, so I gave him my Yale shirt, he gave me his Cornell shirt, and I wore the Cornell shirt through Siberia and Moscow and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I traded that for something that they gave me. I don't remember what it was. It was kind of ratty, whatever. It was a ratty t-shirt, whatever they gave me. They wanted my shoes. They wanted to trade for my shoes, which were high-quality shoes. But as you know, I was on crutches at the start of the trip. By the uh, by, the time I got to Moscow, I jettisoned my crutches. I donated them to the, one of the hotels I stayed in, the infirmary. But I still needed good quality shoes because I, I had sprained my ankle. And so I, I, I declined doing that. Why would you do that in the first place? Yeah, well, yeah, clearly they, they you know, me, yeah, I thought it was a little weird, but they were, you know, there was a cachet yeah. in having these forbidden goods. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there was an American lawyer in the uh, one of the hotels in Tashkent, Bukhara or Samarkand, who traded drinks for a... Video, uh, video uh, a cassette of Michael Jackson's Thriller with wow. the bartender, he, just because he liked the real and deal, and uh, that sort of stuff. You know, it was unusual stuff. So anyway, they encountered. They wanted to talk with me about all sorts of things, and I don't yeah. remember the specifics of everything, of course. But one thing that did stick with me is I, I, uh, I, I there were two things that stuck with me. One is I had learned in college. I had taken a course in, in Russian history, uh, history of the Communist Party of the Soviet Union, and I, was, I knew that history textbooks uh, would have photographs that would change every few years as it became ideologically or politically inconvenient for certain important people to have been next to, standing next to other important people. So you have pictures of you know, Khrushchev, uh, at May Day's May Square uh, on, on May Day, and uh, at the Kremlin, overlooking everything. Five years later, the guy next to him is no longer there in the picture. Mm-hmm. So I said, "Gee," and one of the guys was the Ukrainian guys was a university student in history. So I said, "Well, that's got to be tough. How do you know? Mm. It's easy to trip up." And he says, "No problem whatsoever. He didn't deny that that sort of thing happened. He said, "You just learned the latest. <laughs> it's no problem at all." <laughs> and then I sounds like the, computer science. <laughs> 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 I asked, isn't it a little bit um, is it all right for you to be seen talking with me? He says, no, it's all right. But uh, you know, aren't there like uh, there there are KGB types? And he says, they said, yeah, but um, but uh, you're not KGB. And I said, well, how do you know? And they laughed at me. <laughs> no, we would know if you were a KGB. <laughs> so uh, so you know, I guess I wouldn't have been so loose and relaxed. So yeah, that was my encounter with you. Actually, the memories come back. Mm. Uh, those are the two things I remember. Another thing happened. I also had learned that uh, Kiev had been destroyed uh, at the end of World War II when the Soviet Union took the city back. And uh, that's not permitted to be known in the, at that point in the Soviet Union officially because the Red Army was supposed to be liberating uh, cities. And uh, But these guys, he says, yeah, our grandmothers told us that it was you know, total bombardment and horrible. And indeed, that rings true because when near the end of my trip, when I was in Estonia, I, t- I took a day tour of future Olympics um, and museums and such. And uh, the tour guide was giving a speech in English. It was a, an American university group that was I joined for a day. And the tour guide was talking about how the Baltic states had been occupied by the Nazis uh, and then liberated by the Red, Soviet Red Army. Uh, and her script was perfectly fine, except the way she said it. She says, uh, 
And, you know, and Tallinn was occupied by the Nazi Germans during World War II. And then it was occupied by the Nazis. And then we were liberated by the Soviet Red Army. You know, just the way she said it made it clear that it was another occupying army, you know, yeah. uh, in her intonation. But just on paper, it worked out okay. Yeah, liberated, quote yeah, unquote. Yeah, so mm. that sort of thing. Uh, another thing that happened in Moscow is I, I got a tour of the uh, big museum there by the wife of the French cultural attaché. And the reason that happened is because when I was in Irkutsk, I think it was, I was in the hotel. Uh, one of the things that I had difficulty with in the Soviet Union was getting food. Yeah, I was going to ask about the food. What's the food like? The food was um, basic. Well, the ch- the chicken on the airplane flight was honest chicken. Yeah. It wasn't... <laughs> no hormones. No hormones. <laughs> no, it was a uh, tough chicken, you know? These, it tasted these, like real chicken. It tasted like a real chicken. <laughs> no barbecue sauce. No, no, but it was good, actually, you know? And the bread was hearty whole wheat bread with the berries in it. Great bread on, the Soviet, on this uh, Aeroflot flight. Mm-hmm. But... Um, uh, when I was in the hotel there, it was really tough getting served, you know. Uh, I, w- I went into the hotel restaurant. Uh, you know, maybe if I were my age now, I would have ventured further out into the city. But at this point, it, in the hotel, there was a hotel restaurant. I went into the restaurant, and it was a big room. There was just uh, nobody there. I saw some people over there, and I, said, you know, I pointed, I sit here, and the guy said, yeah. And he never came over. And then... Uh, a, a distinguished-looking man and his teenage son sat down at a table next to me, and I looked at him, and uh, he he said, "Hello, would you like to sit with us?" I said, "Well, sure, that's great." I said, "Yeah, I've been having trouble, uh, uh, you know, ordering." He says, "Oh, don't worry." He calls the guy over. And he speaks to the guy in Russian, says this, this, and that, and that, and this. Man, I've never had as good a meal. <laughs> I think maybe in my life. It was just great. Because <laughs> he's a French cultural attaché. He knew how to work for the staff, hotel staff. But, um, you know, the French tend to have this romanticized notion of Japan. And so he took a liking to me because here was a young American. I was in my 20s, but, you know, a young American who spoke Japanese. He had just spent four years in this exotic locale in Japan, and here he was traveling alone in the Soviet Union. You know, I think they recognized that not, I was both a little bit unusual in that I was traveling alone. Also, it piqued their interest that, you know, I uh, knew Japanese. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then his wife came, and I met his wife, and she said, you must come with me when you're in Moscow. We must meet together, and I'm going to show you the Kandinsky. So uh, I contacted them when I got was in Moscow, and the wife met up with me. I forget exactly where near the museum, I guess. And she took me into the museum, and she said, "You know, my husband, he thinks the Soviet Union and socialism is going to win out, but I know that the capitalist side is going to win out in the end." And I wanted to show you this Kandinsky, these Kandinskys, because they have wonderful Kandinskys in this museum. But Kandinsky was politically suspect. And so they, they knew that Kandinsky was this internationally recognized artist. They had to display his work, but they displayed it in this little cubby hole underneath and behind a stairwell. So she said, I'm going to show you exactly where it is. So I got a, a tour from the wife of the cultural, French cultural attaché. That was kind of neat. All right. I want to 
stop you there. Okay. Oh. Yeah, See, it well, just we, goes on and on. Yeah, we only got like a, a quarter of the way through his travels and stories. But I'm sorry. He's not no, going no, anywhere. It was but, very but, you, good. You, but you can cut it down to size. And like I said, be happy to come back. Yeah. <laughs> That's what we want to hear. You got me going. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I could be not only Finland. the first repeat, but also the first double. Well, uh, yeah, he could probably start his own podcast, I think. Yeah, he's got yeah. Finland and Germany and this. Sure, I haven't know, told you about Maria. <laughs> and, and, and the Finnish. Um, yeah, the Finnish uh, woman you met. And, right, and, and the, uh, you know, the, the um, what do they call it? The, the, not the spa, but the sauna. The sauna. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so, well, thank you for asking me. Yeah, well, yeah. thanks for coming, thanks on. for coming on. Those are some great stories. I'm glad we got them down. All right, well. We'll uh, we'll be back we'll, next week. We'll be back again. Yep, a couple more times I think. Mm-hmm. And uh, thanks for li- listening, everyone.